right, if you're happy to be in church, make some noise. Woo! Y'all ain't scared of no snow. You Chicagoans, right? Y'all can handle it. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Look at your neighbor and say, sassy pastor's coming out. It's going to be a sassy message, but I hope you guys are going to like it. I am not going to do this to be entertaining, but I've got a fire in my belly today, in my spirit. I want to bring this word to you. Those who are new, I want to thank you for joining with us today. We're in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. We started February of 17. This now makes a year anniversary. We are now passing a halfway point, and I can show you guys the end of the series. I'll explain that to you in just a little bit, but the whole series is called In Him. Somebody say, In Him. Thank you, and it's about the book of Ephesians, what Paul was teaching the people there. The book of Ephesians is a great book to understand the gospel. And so hold your app there, the place at 417. We're going to talk about your thought life today. But uh, before we do, I want to review the book of Ephesians. So if you're new, this is great for you to check out what's been going on. We've had about 50 messages thus far, because there's about 52 weeks in a year. Last year, January, I spoke about the church and our vision, Connect Mentor Center, and then February, ran all the way through till now preaching it. So you can go online, check our app, get all the goodies. So here's what we've gone over is what I like to call heavenly-minded. Everybody say heavenly-minded. These are all the things that God wants us to know about who we are in Christ, like the great revelation of what he has done for us. I call these heavy revies. This is the mindset of heaven. There is no more of a better book than the book of Ephesians to show you what it looks like when heaven comes to earth, when heaven comes into your mindset, what it really means to be born again, saved. So just take a look at the screen. We went through all of this, but just to put it in perspective, he starts off the book with opening greetings, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Then he talks about spiritual blessings in Christ, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. How many were there for those messages? Went verse by verse by verse. Prayer uh, uh, number three is Paul's first prayer, which is to know God. Somebody say, know God. This is important to understand because if you don't know God, you can't know the things of God. So you've got to know him personally. He can't be your grandmother's God, your dad's God, your wife's God. He's got to be your God. Uh, number four, uh, we talked about being made alive in Christ by grace through faith. So the prayer was 1, 15 through 23, and then the the salvation message where he really pounds it and nails it is chapter 2, 1 through 10. Then he showed us about Jew and Gentile. So if you ever wanted to know what was up with the Jews in the Old Testament, why is it all about Israel? Why is it all about their prophets and their people? Well, we understand that this was something that God did to show us his law, to show us his purpose, but it wasn't to exclude the Gentiles. It was that the Gentiles could come in and be a part of one new humanity. Adam and Eve got us cursed and messed up. We were born naughty by nature, but now because of Jesus Christ, we're born in the divine nature, sharing in the divine race. Come on, somebody say, la raza. But I'm talking about the heavenly la raza. I'm talking about the raza that comes from Jesus. And that's in Ephesians 2, 11, all the way through to chapter 3, verse 13, okay? Now, Paul has a second prayer where he prays for us to know God's love. That's in chapter 3, 14 through 21. So the first prayer is for us to know God. The second prayer is to know God's love. Then he, pray, uh, then he taught us, rather, the Disciples' Creed in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We learned about that. That's how we have one God and Father, one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one Spirit, one baptism, etc., and then what we talked about last week was the ministry of the church in chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Now, this is the deal. I've been asking you every week to read your Bible and to go through this, okay? I'm not going to ask if you've been doing it, but I hope that you have. I'm a Christian. I read my Bible seven days a week. Can I get an amen? If you just read your Bible 20 to 30 minutes every day, you can add this to your reading schedule and only take one day. Audio Bible, 20, 30 minutes, boom, done. Reading, maybe a little bit longer. You take your time, right? But I've asked you to do this. The reason is, is every week I want you to read through the whole book, and I want you to get what the letter was meant to be. Paul's an apostle. He's writing to a group of people known as the Ephesians people, and he's teaching them the things of God. Now, you notice all of those things are the heavenly mindset of Christianity. This is to give us the big picture. But then he takes a turn to give us the details. And I say, this is the earthly good. Everybody say earthly good. Now, sometimes you've heard this saying that it's whack, so don't believe it. Uh, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. That's whack. Because Jesus was so heavenly minded, he changed the earth for good. And God wants you to be heavenly minded, a heaven attitude, so that you can change the world. And that's exactly how the book of Ephesians goes. So it goes 
rose from all these heavenly-minded things. We're seated in the heavenly places. God died for us on the cross. We're made a new creation. We have all the things that we need. We're the workmanship of God. And then he goes to instructions. Now he starts to teach you how to live as a Christian. And then he gives you the instruction for Christian living, chapter 4, 17 to 520. Instructions for the family and job, chapter 5, 21 through 6, 9. Instructions on spiritual warfare, 6, 10 to 20. And then he ends with the letter. Somebody say, make it plain. Let me, let me make it plain for you and tell you why I'm going to be a little sassy right now. You see, because this right here is just the instructions that he gives in the chapters 417 through 520, what we would call Christian living. Just this first section right here, in this uh, section right here, is 17 messages I've got to preach to you on this entire passage. Now, you may say, Pastor, why do you got to be sassy? Because I'm going to make it plain, and I'm going to name some names, okay? Because I'm tired. Everybody look up at me. I'm tired of Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, all they doing preaching this. I'm tired of him because y'all ain't getting the full message. And half of what they preaching is make-believe anyway. But I'm tired of it. I'm not upset with you for listening to them, but I need you to get this. I've got to put in work right now. You see, I'm the one that's got to tell you to avoid sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, bitterness, rage, anger. Come on, and the list goes on. This pastor's got to take 17 weeks to go through it. Am I upset? No, I love it. But don't you think it's strange? Don't you think it's strange that I got to talk about your sexuality and old Stephen Furtick, all he keeps telling you is that you're the woman at the well and Jesus going to do something for you and you're the woman with the issue of blood and you're going to get your blessing and T.D. Jakes is going to tell you for the 500th time, thou art loosed. When do they teach you about sexual immorality? When do they teach you about coarse joking and what comes out your mouth? When do they teach you about obscenity? When do they teach you about greed? When do they teach you about brawling and slander? Come on, somebody say, make it plain. The sass has just begun. It ain't even close to the, the pinnacle of the sass. Because what I want to do is I want to make it so plain that you understand this. Now, as I get this ready, I want you to get this in my heart today. Number one. I'm not saying these preachers aren't Christians and they're not going to heaven, number one. Number two, I'm not saying what they talk about when they talk about those things aren't good. It encourages me. That's great. It's part of the word, makes you feel better, makes you want to live for Jesus. But I'm going to tell you what I have a problem with. Here's from Elevation, one of their videos, and we're recording this, and hopefully I can get this to be uh, what I uh, put out this week as my little short clip. I'm not trying to be famous. I'm not jelly. I'm not hating on their fame, but I want you to get this. When they put out videos about him preaching and then they showing things to motivate you, this is what they put in out. You going out and running a race, riding your bike, going to surf. My friends, that's not why Christ died on the cross, so that you could be a better ballerina, a better cello player, a better surfer. That's the garbage Oprah Winfrey tells you. Are you listening? That's what the world pumps in your head all the time. Be a better you. Go achieve your goals. You can go to hell achieving your goals. Do you understand that? I, as a preacher, better tell you that, my friends. If Steve Jobs was not born again, he went to hell. Walter Payton, one of my favorite running backs of all times, number 34, I knew the Super Bowl shuffle, 85 Bears, whoop, whoop, come on somebody. If he was not born again, he's in hell. I don't care what you think about this. I'm unstoppable. I can do all things. I'm not going to give up when you get knocked down. Oh, come on. Get your little twirl on. Oh, it's going to happen for you. I know the devil's wanting to stop you from riding your bike and doing a clean and jerk. Ah, but you can make it. You know what? I want to see the same preaching right here. I want to see that same preaching dubbed over video of us being on Devon Street last night in the snow preaching the gospel to Muslims. That's what I want to see. A video like us not cowering in a corner. I'm all Michael Phelps. I can't swim and make my goal today. No, I want to see a video of us preaching to black Hebrew Israelites who think they're the lost tribes of Israel. And we got to go to their cult church and tell them about the grace of Jesus. 
I want to see a, a meeting with you at one of your co-workers on a lunch break, having to tell them, though you want to be called by a woman's name, I'm still going to call you by your God-given man's name. Takes confidence to do that. I ride my bike 30 miles six days a week, 100, 180 miles a week I ride my bike. And I'm telling you what, I am not here to motivate you to ride your bike better. I am not here to motivate you to play your cello better. What am I here to do by the grace of God? Now, let me say this. Do I have a problem with you being the best you you can be? Of course not. Of course not. I want you to be the best. I thank God that the Eagles have some Christians on their team. That's going to be like my son because my son's an athletic young man. When he gets older, he'll be like a team, uh, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was homeschooled. Are you listening? But I don't give a rip if the Eagles live for Jesus or not. I don't need a superstar to make me feel good about being a Christian. I'm going to be a Christian whether they are or they aren't. It's almost like we need to prop them up and be like, here's a guy who makes $20 million and loves Jesus. You should do the same. What if none of us made $20 million? What if we were put in caves, made to run like they are in Pakistan, in Syria, in Afghanistan right now, where we're made the scum of the earth? They take our property. They take our businesses. Would you still serve Jesus? Or are you here to be a better cello player? Come on, somebody say, make it plain. Are you here to be a better cello player or do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You see, this is what we're supposed to be motivated for. We're supposed to be motivated to do this, to do this. I ride my bike 30 miles a day, and yes, Jesus gives me strength because I can do all things. But where I really need the strength to do all things is to not be sexually immoral and look at porn tonight and cheat on my wife with a woman on a screen. That's what I need the power of God for, to guard my words that I don't cuss you out in traffic when you cut me off. That's Christian living. This is Christian living here. This is not Snoop Dogg singing a gospel song. Did you see that video? Y'all want me to find it? They got a video now, Snoop Dogg singing a gospel song. This is not Snoop Dogg singing a gospel song. This is not Kanye West, Jesus walk with me. This is Christian living. This is how we live. This is how we show the world we're not greedy, we're not impure, we're not sensual, we're not like them. We're not like them because we don't think like them. Our minds been changed because our souls been reborn. And yes, I can be the best at everything, but I don't relate to Christianity, to me going surfing and my surfboard breaking, and I have to get back up and try again. That's not how I relate to Christianity. You know how I relate to Christianity? I relate to Christianity driving down diversity or driving down Fullerton, and the school gets out around 3 o'clock, and I see kids growing, going by their corners in gangs with looks on their face like they want to murder somebody. And then I think about our teenagers that then hop out on those corners and start preaching the gospel. What I think about here is men and women who are working jobs and having to show up to a place where they're pro-abortion, pro-homosexual, pro-sleeping together, pro-partying, pro-greed, and they have to stay there with their integrity and lead or be under a boss that's manipulative and, and God-hating. That's what I think Christianity, the rubber meets the road. That's what I think it really looks like is when you face it and you're like, I'm not backing down. I love you, but I don't agree with you. I'm not backing down. Do you know that in Canada right now, Jordan Peterson and others are leading a fight against the Canadian government because they are about ready to make it a law that if you do not call transsexuals by their name, they will fine you. And if you don't pay the fine, you go to jail. Wouldn't that be something that in Rome, they had to bow before Caesar? Listen, in Rome, they had to say Caesar was Lord. It was okay if Jesus was Lord. That's okay. But as long as you said that our God was also your God and our God, man, the Caesar, was your God, everything's cool. 
You can have your gods, you can have your lords. Just make sure you bow to, Pharaoh, bow to Caesar and you say our gods are gods too. See, that was their problem in a pluralistic society. And so when we wouldn't bow, we would say, no, Caesar is not Lord. And they would even manipulate us at those times. They would say, say it, deny Christ now, and then we'll let you go and go move out into the desert. Nobody will find you. And they would say, we'd rather die. We'd rather die right now confessing Jesus as Lord than to bow before this man. Now imagine if they say that to us. See, see, we always think that martyrdom and persecution is going to come, you know, like it's going to be so, uh, so amazing. We're going to look so proud in front of the people. No, no, no. We're going to look like the scum of the earth because they're going to say to us, listen, we're going to send you to jail, pastor, unless you call this man who became a woman by her name Barbara. And if, what am I, just imagine if I say, I'm not calling her Barbara. I'm calling him Bob. Take his license away. Put him in jail. He won't bow before our sexual perversion. What if the world persecuted you that way? You understand? This is the real world of Christianity. This is not lacing up your, your, your boxing gloves so you can go be an MMA star. This is not so that you can play your cello better or do more whatever this is for ballerinas. What do they call that when they spin? A pirouette, thank you. This is not about how many pirouettes you can do. It's about whether or not you're going to live for Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, to make it real, somebody say, make it plain. To make it plain, I will be reading by God's grace, not as punishment, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the entire passage of Christian living for the next 17 weeks. So every time you come here, you will hear what it means to be a Christian. See, the heavenly-minded things were in the chapters before. If you haven't listened to the, the messages, go back and listen to them. This is glorious, and don't forget them because it's interwoven through the commands, meaning I can't do a good work unless God made me a good work. I can't go out into the world and have a good attitude unless God gave me a good attitude to begin with. I can't love unless he first loved me. I can't act like a child of God unless I've been first born again a child of God. So don't ever forget this is where it's at, to know and to love God. That's my prayer for you like it was for Paul, that you would know God. You would know him. I pray for my children every day. Every day I pray for my children. That's not true, Nancy. Every single day, may they always know you, God, and love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we hear the prayer of Paul as we go into these instructions and not be intimidated by them because we're not being saved by our works. He had already told us up here that we're saved by grace through faith. We're made a workmanship of God to do the good works. What happens first? Is the car made or does it run a race first? It's made and then it can run a race. What happens first? Does the child learn arithmetic or is the child born? It's born. Okay, so does a person do good works to become a Christian or become a Christian first and then learn good works? You become a Christian first. Become born again first. Can I hear an amen? Now, what I want to do is add a little theatrics to this, not in a silly way or to draw attention to myself, but because this passage is a little bit longer, I want to keep you engaged. And what I want to do is I want to say it in such a way that I think you would get it as if you were hearing it right from Paul. But before I do, I want you to get this. And can I have some water, please, Nancy? Before I do, I want you to understand his pivot here. If you're reading the whole book, it's a pivot right at chapter 4, verse 17, because he says this. So I tell you this. So I tell you this. Why does he just stop right there at verse 17 and say, so I tell you this? Because of everything he just told you. See, everything he's told you is building up to it. Do you get it? You're in Christ. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are the workmanship of God. You've been saved by grace. So I tell you this. Do you get it? Do you get That's how it's supposed to be. Thank you. Can you take the cap off for me? Thank you. So I tell you this. Somebody say, I tell you this. And insist on it. Somebody say, I insist on it. See, this is the point. Say, I tell you this. And say, I insist on it. That's where it gets real. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They have lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned 
when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. They must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave us himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to a debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many got something out of that today? That's what we're going to do for the next 17 weeks. I'm not here to act. I'm not here to be a person to perform it. But did you get the heart of it? I went over it many times in my personal study, read it many times. And I said, God, may they just get it. May they hear it as if Paul was speaking. May they not get confused by it. May they not get weighed down by it. But may they be encouraged to live by it. Because this is Christian living. This is why you died. This is why you came for us to live a good life. See, the good life is not dependent upon me surfing. You could take away the surfing, but I still have Christ. Amen? You take away Christ, I have surfing, I have nothing. 
This is the cross-centered life. We focus our gaze upon Jesus. And it's not that I'm putting these men down. I love them. Stephen Furtick, Carl Lentz, T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, Gregory Dicker. I follow many of these people. But I, but I plead with them. Why aren't you talking about this? The Bible says for such the wrath of God comes. This is why the wrath of God is coming. In our state senate, they blocked a bill that would stop the abortion of 20-week old children in mothers' wombs. They stopped it, and the senators high-fived each other, rejoicing in their wickedness. A 12-week-old fetus is what I have inside of Nancy right now. And the child has arms and legs and ears and eyes. Could you imagine tearing that child out? This is what the Bible says is rage and anger. This is bitterness and wrath against the holy God. My friends, we need to be Christ-centered again. And I don't know about you, but I'm not angry with people. You see, because a part of this is understanding there is spiritual warfare. He says at the end of this letter, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Those senators are not my problem. The people of this world necessarily are not my problem. I am fighting the demons and the spirits that come from Satan that have lied to them. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Amen. When, when you're in the truth, you don't believe a lie. Would you believe me if I told you two plus two is five? You couldn't believe it even if you tried. If I said, I'll give you $1,000 if you could beat this lie detector test and say you believe it. Now let's say you don't know any of the FBI or CIA tricks, whatever, and you just take it. You couldn't just will yourself to believe it. It's too ingrained in you. Two plus two is four. It should be so ingrained in you, these principles, that if someone says it to you otherwise, you just go, no, I can't believe it. I still love you. I pray for you. Uh, we may not be able to agree upon this, but I have to tell you this is the truth. You just, you just settle it in your mind. I will think and act like a Christian. So I want to ask you today, how are you thinking? Because a lot of times people ask you how you're doing, but I want to ask you, how are you thinking? Because how you think will determine how you live. And if you notice Paul in this passage, he tells us how the unbeliever is thinking. See if you can catch it now with the, the areas I have in bold. I, I tell you this, insist on in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So he connects it. You live like how you think, right? They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God. Ignorance is in them due to the hardening of their heart. They've lost all sensitivity. They're given over to sensuality. They indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That is the mindset of a sinner. And all of us had it, so let's not think we're better than them. Amen? We've all been there. And if you're here today and haven't been born again, we want you to come to Christ and be made new because Christ changed our minds. He changed our minds. But now the point is that we don't think like we used to. We think like now who God made us to be. You want to know what it means to be futile? Let me give you a good definition of, of futility. Imagine if we took you on a plane right now, about 30,000 feet. They call this in the Air Force a halo jump. Anything above the 10, 15,000 area uh, feet range, they call it a halo jump. So imagine we throw you out of a plane going 30,000 uh, feet up in the air, and, and now you've fallen down over 120 miles an hour, terminal velocity. Let me give you a definition of what futility is. Futility is you grabbing air, expecting it to hold you. This is futility. That is their thoughts. Steve Jobs' thoughts were futile. Right now, every sinner's thoughts are futile. They do nothing for them in an eternal sense. You will live for eternity. Your life now is but a breath. Anything your mind is on, if it is not centered around God and his kingdom, it is futile. Selfies, futile. Your education, futile. Your family, futile. It is nothing but a breath of air passing by you now as you're falling to destruction. Don't be like them. Set the kingdom before all that you do. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So when you see your job, see it through the worldview or the filter of God. I see my job as a place to glorify God. I see my family as a way to glorify God. Not futile, but fruitful. 
darkened in their understanding. Now imagine if I just put, this may sound like kidnapping, I blindfold you, put you in a van and take you somewhere you don't want to go. And then all of a sudden, they're blindfolded in a dark room. I say, describe what's in this room or we kill you and your family. Now I would never do that, but imagine how much you would be trying to guess what was in that room. You would say, oh, maybe there's a painting, there's a couch, there's a whatever. Now imagine if I had taken you to the Museum of Aeronautics and all there is in, uh, you know, is planes or imagine if I had taken you to a jungle and all there was was trees, you would be so far off from what you were guessing. Why? Because you were darkened in your understanding. And that is sinners trying to tell you what the world's like. They are darkened. Well, the world's like making money and the world's about being happy. They are dark. They don't understand it's against good and evil. Heaven and hell. And Jesus is Lord and the devil is defeated. They have no idea. They're dark in their understanding. Don't think like them. Don't think like a Gentile thinks. They think about being separated from God. They don't know what they don't know. That's why three and four go hand in hand. And even five, they're separated, they're ignorant, and they're unaware. They're separated, they're ignorant, and they're unaware. Just like if I said to you right now, uh, Sean White, how many 360s do you think he's going to do in this Winter Olympics? You would be separated, unaware, and ignorant of who I'm even talking about. Come on, people. Do most of you even know who Sean White is? The flying uh, carrot? <laughs> He's our number one guy. He's the red-haired guy with snowboarding. You don't even think about Why? Because you're separated from it. You're ignorant of it. You're unaware of it. Why? Because it's not important to you. Sean White, who cares about Sean White, right? But listen to me. If you're Sean White's competition, that's all you've been thinking about. All you've been thinking about day and night as you've been practicing is how do I beat that flying carrot? How do I get more 360s than that dude, right? That's all you've been thinking about. And see, this is the thing. They don't think about the life of God because they don't have it, but that's all the Christian thinks about. They're ignorant of the truth, but that's all you think about. And they're unaware of the convictions of the Holy Spirit because they're so numb on the inside, but you are sensitive to the pin drop of the voice of spirit. I talk to my friends who are backslidden all the time, and they just put the fear of God in me. Listen to this. They actually go to bed at night in another woman's bed and sleep good. That's what I wake up with having nightmares. I have a nightmare of me cheating on my wife. I've had nightmares of me smoking and cussing and I've woken up with fear gripping my heart and I have to repent and say God I know that's not me may it never happen and I know backslidden Christians they are so separated from the life of God they are so ignorant of his truth they are so unaware that they are literally dancing their way their way to hell and they think nothing of it how many of you are sensitive to God's voice today you can hear him speak to you to where you go back to your children. I shouldn't have said that to you. Mommy, daddy, we made a mistake. You go back to your coworkers. Shouldn't have got angry like that. You, you confess to your wife. I looked at something on the internet that I shouldn't have. Because you're so sensitive to it. They're sensual instead of spiritual. Somebody say sensual. What it means to be sensual is you're led by your senses. But how many know your senses and your five senses in the flesh can deceive you? Your eyes can deceive you. You see, this is what I tell men who are tempted. I get tempted to have sex outside of marriage, but here's what I tell them to do. Just walk the whole story out. Just walk the whole story out in your mind and see where it leads you, because that's what the Bible says. See the end from the beginning. So you're at the mall, see a pretty girl. Now imagine, move away from your wife, honey, I'm going to go check on some shoes. You go get that girl's number. Now you go back to your house. You got to set up the time, right? Now you got to court her a little bit. Unless she's just crazy, you're going to meet in the hotel. But anyways, now, now you start living a double life. Before you know it, now your kids aren't seeing you like they used to. Now your wife's getting on your nurse. She's getting in the way of your affair, right? And now time goes by, and before you know it, you're drawing the line in the sand because you're putting it on somebody else, but it's really all on you. And then you're divorced now, and you go live with this side chick. And now hold on, hold on, watch this, watch this. You got that side chick you at the mall with. Now watch. Now you see another pretty girl. <laughs> what you do now? Leave the side chick for the side side chick. You have just found yourself in the rat race of sin. You are in a gerbil will to your senses. You have just been led astray by yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and call yourself your worst enemy. Because now you've just realized what you thought would make you happy hasn't made you happy. And you just destroyed your family in the meantime. Rewind. Turn 
your eyes gaze upon your wife and say, that's not for me. This is my wife. May she satisfy me all the days of my life. You're single, grab out the Bible and say, God, satisfy all my needs. I could do it all day long. You say, Pastor, make it more plain. I will. You see that cheesecake? You see that dessert? You see that pizza? Come on, somebody. You see that outfit that you want? Just walk yourself down the future and see where that goes to your hips. See what that does to your credit card. See what this does to your lifestyle. Come on, somebody. And then just rewind it back and say, I'm not following my flesh. I'm not going to go after the lust of my eyes, what I just want because it feels good, the lust of my, my flesh or the pride of my life because it's my life and I can do what I want. No, I'm going to crucify the flesh, count it as dead and be spiritual. Amen. And isn't it something, I know it shouldn't surprise us, but I just love how the Bible 2,000 years ago speaks to us today better than Oprah or a newspaper ever could or one of those motivational videos on Facebook. Watch this. Those who are sensual struggle with two things in life. They struggle with their sexuality and they struggle with their money. See, those are the two things I, struggle, I see people struggle with the most in the church. When you're not right with God, your sexuality is not right. When you're not right with God, your, your, your understanding of money is not right. Instantly, it's the two things that go, your sexuality and your money. You'll start loving money. You'll put it before God. You'll make it an idol, and you'll make whatever feels good sexually the way you're going to be driven in life because those are the two manifestations of the sensual flesh-driven life. It's going to be all about the money you can make, all about the pride you can get in this world and have people consider you their celebrity, and all the sexual pleasure you can get. Track through life and tell me if it doesn't come down to those two things. Show me somebody struggling with their mindset of money and their sexuality, and I'll show you somebody that's sensual. Show me somebody that's got their sexuality under control, their money under control. I'll show you somebody that's spiritual in the name of Jesus. Now catch it. This is what Paul said we used to be like. And he says, you must no longer live like this. Don't be like the Gentiles, the non-Christians out there who do these things. But what should we be like instead? Instead of being futile in our thoughts, we should be what? Come on, instead of being futile, we should be what? Amen. Instead of being darkened by sin, we should be what? Lightened by God's wisdom. Instead of being separated from the life of God, what should we be? Connected to the life of God. Come on, instead of being ignorant of God's truth, what should we be? Aware of God's truth everywhere we go. Instead of being hardened in our heart, we should be what? Sensitive in our conscience. Instead of being sensual, what should we be? Led by the Spirit. Instead of being impure and unholy, what should we be? Pure and holy. And instead of being selfish and greedy, what should we be? selfless and generous. Now see if you can catch Paul in those next verses. He says, that, however, is not the way of life. You learned all that crazy stuff when you heard about Christ, when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, your former attitudes, your former stinking thinking to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. See, what corrupts the old self. What is the heart in the, of the matter of the old self as that just went cray? What is the major issue of the old self? Everybody say deceitful desires. It is the deceitful desires that bring down the old self. They're deceitful. That's why in hell, no one wants to stay there. They were deceived. When Adam and Eve went out of the Garden of Eden under the curse of God, they weren't singing, oh, happy day. They weren't happy. It wasn't, it's a beautiful morning, whatever. No, they weren't doing that. They were like, we just got bamboozled. We just got hoodwinked. Our desire to take a fruit and become our own God just corrupted us and destroyed the planet. We're going to die now. And I'm sure they had no idea how miserable it was going to be watching one of their children kill the other one. They had no idea what it was going to be like for us for the next 6,000 years living in a world where we get to be the God who chooses good versus evil. We made ourselves the boss, lowercase g God. You know what I mean, because that was what he told them. You'll be God. You'll know good from evil. Take the fruit. It's deceitful. It's deceitful, isn't it? But that's not what we learned when we became Christians. We did not learn to follow our deceitful desires. No, we were told to be new, to be made new in the attitude of our what? In our minds, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow. So we don't leave just with sassy Joe now, do we? Sassy pastor, we can leave encouraged, right? 
Because how do we leave living the good life, coming out with the new self God gave us? God gave us a new self. He gave us a new attitude, a new way of thinking. Adam, would you come, please? And all we have to do is submit to it. So whenever I am challenged as a Christian to go back to my old way of thinking, God will forgive me if I give in to it. He's a gracious God. Grace doesn't stop after I become a Christian. All I have to do is desire these things. And God says he'll give me the desires of my heart. He's not going to force it upon me. If I want to think futile thoughts, just go to my job, think about how to make money, think about my vacation time. If that's all I want to do, God will let me just think all those futile thoughts. But if I want to go to my job on the rock of God's word and prosper and be successful, do it for his kingdom and for the things that affect his kingdom, my family, this com- company's success, the city that I live in, etc., then I'll be fruitful. Then I'll be enlightened by God's wisdom, connected, aware, sensitive, led, pure, and selfless. Now I want to ask you in closing today, what kind of life do you want to live? Because it will be determined on how you are thinking. How are you thinking? Not how you're feeling. Feelings can be deceitful. You can think and feel two different things. Can I get that to you right now before we go? Come on. You can think and feel two different things. How many of you have felt so angry you could just slap somebody, but you thought to yourself, I shouldn't do that? Right? How many have ever felt super duper hungry and want to eat that cheesecake, but there's a thought that says it's New Year's, it will be warm eventually in this place, and I want to put on shorts and a nice shirt and look good at the beach, whatever. How many have thoughts that go against your feelings? You don't have to be led by your feelings. Let your thinking control your body and let your feelings play themselves out. I'm not even necessarily saying you're going to control your feelings because sometimes we just can't control a feeling. A feeling is a part of your your brain chemistry, your nervous system. Uh, If I was to tell you since being a Christian, I have never felt attracted to another woman, that would be a lie. But I think the words of God when my body feels hormonally charged through pheromones. Are you listening? Testosterone. If I was to tell you since being a Christian, I haven't felt angry to get into a fight, I would be lying to you. But I think on the things of God. I'm not saying that I haven't fallen in that, but when I have, I repent. I don't make an excuse. I don't say, God, well, you know, you should make an allowance for this because you love us. No, Paul actually says this in Romans. Should we go on sinning so the grace of God can keep on gracing? No, you don't keep on sinning so the grace of God can keep on gracing. You let the grace of God encourage you to stop sinning. You, you, you see, my wife will forgive me of an attitude on the way home. I know that, but I don't want to just keep having attitudes on the way home because she's going to keep forgiving. How about I have a good attitude on the way home and not determined upon my feelings? If I'm hangry and I haven't eaten, hello, been preaching all day, woman, I got to get some food. No, I don't have permission to get hangry, even though I feel it. This is Christian living. Now, I just want to ask you, how are you thinking? Not how are you feeling, but how are you thinking? Set your mind on the things of Christ. Set your minds on the things of God. Let us enjoy this journey together. And some of you are new to Christianity, but there's been a term used throughout Christianity, but many of us don't understand it, and it's called revival. And we think of revival as a preacher preaching to a lot of people, and that's maybe part of it. Or we think of revival as filling up a stadium, etc. But you know what revival really looks like? Revival looks like this on your job. That's what revival looks like. Revival looks like this with your family, parents, with your children, children with your parents, husbands and wives. That's what it looks like. Revival looks like this in the grocery store. Revival looks like this when we face people that we don't get along with from our past. Revival looks like this when we behave like this on Facebook and social media. Okay, let me just make it more plain to you. You know what it, you know what Mayor Rahm Emanuel needs to do? Like if I had a meeting with him, the only thing I'm going to ask him to do is this. I'm not asking for free garbage pickup. Are you listening? I don't need to come with a handout. I'm coming with the word of God saying, can I ask you to be like this, Mayor Rahm Emanuel? How many would like to see Donald Trump be like this, our president? How many would like to see every governmental leader be like this? Every person that owns a job, a boss, to be like this? How many would like to see the people of Hollywood like this? How many would like to see gymnastic coaches for the Olympics like this? This is how we live. 
So you say, in closing, you say, I believe in Jesus. I say, show me Jesus. You say, I have faith. Show me your faith. Show me your faith. Show the world what it's like to be a Christian. If you stumble, you fall, one of the best things you can do as a Christian is show them repentance. And that shows them the Christian life. Amen. Let's just pray while you're seated. Father, I take this serious. May we all examine our hearts now. Altar workers and band, would you come please in closing? If you're here today as you're searching your heart, your thoughts, your soul, it's all the same term, uh, describing the same thing with different terms. As you look inside your heart now, be honest. If you're not a born-again Christian, if you haven't been changed, if you feel like the lights are off in your spirit, like you don't get it, like it's been a, a journey for you to try to understand what this Christianity is about, just even where you're at right now, will you ask Jesus into your heart? He will turn on the lights. He will save you just as you are. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. We have people in our church from every lifestyle that have come, been forgiven, and are living for Jesus. Do that right now. And those of us who are Christians who say, I know I'm a Christian. God lives in my heart. I have faith. I believe all the things Paul talks about. Look at your thoughts. Just take an inventory of the last week. How are you thinking? If there are thoughts that come into your mind that led to behaviors that weren't wrong, would you, or that were wrong, that weren't right, would you just repent of them right now and say, Lord, forgive me for my thoughts and my actions. Forgive me. Forgive me for the time I was angry and I sinned. Forgive me of the time I was impure, perverse. Forgive me of the time I was telling a dirty joke, spoke unwholesome words. Lord, forgive me for the times that I've been greedy, sensual, thinking about myself all the time. Forgive me. And then all of us, Let's say it together, I put on the new self. Come on, I put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. If you believe it, would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? As you stand, let's come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm putting on the new self today, made to be like God. I can't do it by myself. God has to do it in me. But I put on the new self that he purchased for me on the cross. I take off the old and I put on the new. My attitude will be righteous and holy for my God is righteous and holy. Yes, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Would you pray right now that the Lord will use you for the next 17 weeks as we learn these things, to come to church, to put them into practice, to read these scriptures with your family, to have Bible studies on your job at lunchtime or in your schools, that we will truly show the world what it means to be a follower of Christ. Come on, pray for your city, friends. Come on, brothers and sisters, pray for your family. Pray that these chairs will be filled up with people who want to learn to live like Jesus. And we pray for these churches and the ministers that we've named. We pray for Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, all these other ones, uh, Carl Lentz, Lord. May they preach the other side. May our airwaves and social media be filled with the commands of our God because they are not burdensome. They are freeing to the soul. They bring light to the darkened. They bring truth to those in error. Oh, use us, use us, use us. Before we go, just in an attitude of prayer, I'm going to ask that Ishmael would pray for me as your pastor. I'm going to kneel down just ask that he would pray for me. Because I know for these next 17 weeks, the devil's going to try to discourage me. He's going to try to get me to fail at this. He's going to try to make me think this is not real, and that if I can't do it, nobody can do it. And I'm just going to ask my brother to lift me up so that when I come here, I'm not a hypocrite, that I can look you in the eyes and say, I'm doing this with you. Would you pray for me, my brother? Everyone just stretch out your hand towards the altar, towards the man of God. Shita rabba ba 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 si. Shita rabba ba. 
I've never seen such humility. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, Lord, you know the man of God here kneeling before you. You know his intimate thoughts. You know every crevice. You know every thought he has. Every motivation. You know it, God. Father God, I pray that all those thoughts and motivations will always be aligned with your heart, God. Lord God, and when temptation comes, when struggle comes, Lord, he knows who to call on. Lord God, Lord, he knows who to call on, Lord. What an example we have. What an example we have, Lord God. I pray, I pray, Lord God, that you guard him from the attacks, the fiery darts of the enemy. Lord God, Holy Spirit, extinguish them now. In Jesus' name, let us let him stand here every day with a clear conscience, Lord God. Let him stand here every day knowing that he is holy. Let him stand here every day, God, confident in who he is in you, the righteousness of God that he carries. Let him stand here every day, God, knowing that he can lead the flock, lead the sheep to, to righteous thinking, Lord God without compromise, without fear, without embarrassment, Lord, because you are with him. You sustain him. You hold him, God. You embrace him, and you give him a new identity. Lord God, I thank you for him, Lord. Let these next 17 weeks, God, be a, be a, a, a time of revival, Lord. A time where we all get it, where we all understand it, and it bleeds out into the streets of our city, God, where they all can understand and all can see that we are a righteous people in you, Jesus. Bless the man. Bless this church. Bless everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go, we want to make sure you feel welcome to come to these brothers and sisters who I can tell you, with everything I know about them, they are living for Jesus. They're doing everything they know how to do when they mess up. They're repenting and they're standing in Christ's righteousness. I'm so thankful for them. So please do not go if you're struggling in this. And don't, let them, uh, don't leave without them. Let them pray for you or if you want to accept Jesus. They'll help you. Amen. Lord, bless us as we go. Keep us safe traveling back home. And may we live for you and think like you. In Jesus' name, one more time. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, woo, amen. God bless you. You 